Good morning. Welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, we discuss a group which helps spread healthy and locally grown produce along with other nutritious foods to Chicago's communities. Also, one of the score's own discusses the importance of the new White Sox manager being a Cuban-American. Urban Growers Collective is a local non-for-profit which helps spread healthy, locally grown produce to several Chicago neighborhoods, specifically on the south side. The organization has several different programs they use to accomplish their goals, including their Fresh Moves program. I spoke with operations manager of the Fresh Moves mobile market, Joshua Hughes, about Fresh Moves and about what Urban Growers Collective is. Joshua, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you, Adam? I'm good. I'm good. So a, a, a lot of stuff I want to get to with you, but but let's first start with can you tell us a little bit about what the Urban Growers Collective is before we move on and and begin talking about more specifically the Fresh Moves program? Yeah, so Urban Growers Collective is an urban agriculture nonprofit um, in Chicago, um, and they have seven farms currently. The main primary farm is in South Chicago, actually, and they provide um, education around growing food. Um, they provide uh, networks for food access and education. Um, and yeah, they, there's a lot of blossoming programs within the organization. And the organization is actually um, primarily black and women owned and led as well. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of groundwork and providing, you know, sustainable food sources for, uh, many neighborhoods that suffer from food apartheid here in Chicago. Uh, food apartheid. What is that? So there, there were many, many, as we know, like Chicago is very segregated and Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's been a lot of redlining throughout Uh, many years, um, especially with the south and west side. So um, with city development, um, it's very clear that, like, the north side has had the most benefit in city Mm -hmm. planning. So people are able to just walk to grocery stores and get, you know, fresh produce and, like, pretty much get all of their needs met within walking distance. Um, And their their grocery stores um, in the north side are stocked you know, to accommodate that, whereas where you'll see on a lot of the south and west side neighborhoods, um, the access is not there. Um, You know, you'll have a lot of grocery stores that are very few and far between people's place of residency. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the times when we get to those stores, the produce is either not fresh or not present at all. Um, And that is definitely a systematic Mm. a systematic um, thing that redlining has done in these communities, and we are trying to help bridge that gap. Um, and we, we've made a lot of headway in doing that, um, but this is certainly not something that can only be done by us. It is a collective effort um, that requires, you know, collective leadership, um, community engagement. Um, and it requires, like, you know, city policy getting behind, like, mm-hmm. helping these initiatives, like, activate as well. And so I, I know that Urban Growers Collective has been around since fall of 2017. So I'm curious how in the last five years 
how how the group has changed or, or evolved in that time as you've worked to kind of to, to alleviate what you were just talking about there with you know I've you called it the food apartheid I've kind of I think I've heard it also referred to as having food deserts in various areas where you just have limited access to just grocery stores right yes yes and um yeah a lot of um yeah, it is commonly referred to as food deserts, but I guess the politically correct term is food apartheid, simply because food desert isn't really spelling out, you know, the 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 nature of like why this is happening. A lot of these communities, you know, have um, you know sustainable resources at one point in time, but then these things were stripped away mm. from them over the years, you know, through uh, redlining, unfortunately. Got you. Okay. So uh, I, I was curious too, as I was reading more about the organization I, and I noticed mm-hmm. that it, this seems to have been something that was, I guess I'll say inspired by a foundation called growing power that was in Milwaukee for 25 years. Do you know about that? Like how one, how urban growers collective came from growing power? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Growing Power was originally started by Will Allen um, in Milwaukee, and he had a team of people working up um, at farms and, like, building education and resources for farming in the Milwaukee er- area. Mm-hmm. And then the organization uh, began to expand, and it expanded into Chicago. And UGC pretty much became, like, the Chicago branch of Growing Power, um, and it continued on after uh, Growing Power dissolved, and, you know, it's it's pretty much continued the mission of what Growing Power was doing um, in the beginning. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. We're speaking with Joshua Hughes. He is with Urban Growers Collective, and within that group, he is the operations manager of the Fresh Moves mobile market. So, Joshua, tell us about what Fresh Moves is. Yeah, so the Fresh Moves program um, originally launched, well, actually originally launched with UGC uh, May 2018, Um, and it's it's definitely um, expanded, like, tremendously over the past few years. Um, We stop at 15 different sites five days a week uh, from 10 to 4 p.m., and we actually received uh, grants from Barilla, um, and were able to restore our bus, which was previously a renovated CTA model, um, into a shuttle bus, um, which has been a lot more reliable um, than the CTA bus previously. Um, and we have, you know, starting with you know, the pandemic um, and the lockdowns um, in March 2020, we had originally began to do a COVID response um, where we started dispatching emergency produce boxes to different churches, Mm -hmm. hospitals, and different um, shelters around Chicago. Um, And then we actually relaunched our program with the Fresh Moves Mobile Market in November 2020. Um, And since we began our operations 
at the November 2020 timeline, we have seen an exponential growth in the amount of customers we've served. Um, we currently, I have the numbers right here, but uh, in 2021, we distributed 5,900 boxes of produce, wow. uh, 13,000 hot meals, um, and 36,000 customers. And within our program, we actually have a partnership with LinkUp Illinois, where when customers spend um, every dollar that a customer spends with their Link or Snap card, we match that dollar with Link vouchers. And Link vouchers are worth $1 each. Uh, we match up to $50 with that incentive, and people are able to also spend that on our bus. So that really stretches their money. Um, when they're spending on the bus. Um, and Barilla and a number of other foundations that we've worked with have helped um, sponsor our Link Voucher program. So every customer that shows up um, to our bus, uh, we take their name, zip code, and then they get $10 of free produce um, every time they get on the bus. And we that is incentive for everyone that shows up. And they're able to pick from anything on the bus. Um, we have uh, a vast selection of fruits, vegetables, um, local produce from our farms and from local vendors here in Chicago. Um, we also have locally made soaps. We also have grains that are donated from Bob's Red Mill. We have grains that um, were harvested from from Fresher Together, um, who actually worked on our farms in South Chicago at one point. Um, and we also have Terrence's Microgreens at Yeah, at the plant. And, yeah, we we partner with these local vendors to not only um, boost the local economy uh, within these neighborhoods, but to really just, like, bring that representation um, and let people know that, like, their businesses can be supported with our initiative as well. It is really a collective effort to uplift a lot of these neighborhoods and businesses that have been impacted by not only redlining like in previous years, but, you know, through the pandemic um, in 2020. Oh, that so- it sounds like quite an extensive program and, and uh, a lot of work that you guys, that you guys do. So now along with this, I, I know that there's going to be health fairs happening in the next week. And I think they you, they have been happening as well, but there's some coming up this next week. So what are these health fairs and what can people that, that participate expect to see? Uh, absolutely. So we um, actually just finished our first week of health fairs this past Monday through Wednesday. Um, and at the health fairs, we, um, we're partnered with a lot of our local partners that we are already with. Um, but we also have some ex- um, other vendors um, from the surrounding neighborhoods to, you know, bring services to the communities that we serve. Um, so we're providing cooking demos right now. Uh, we also have health screenings, um, and we also have COVID vaccinations that people are able to get, along with um, produce boxes from Fresh Moves. Um, and pretty much we're, we're just bringing the cooking demos uh are all vegetarian based. So we, we sell 
fruits and vegetables from our bus. And we noticed that a lot of um, people that come on um, are intimidated by just seeing raw ingredients. Um, a lot of people are wanting like prepared food a lot of the time or just don't know um, what to do with a lot of these raw ingredients. So it's an education piece um, with bringing the cooking demos. So we do a lot of like sampling with that. Um, the vendors pass out recipe cards and it just really, you know, gives more touch point on like what po- what's possible um, with the ingredients that people are buying on our bus. Um, the house greetings, um, it will include flu vaccinations um, and blood pressure tests. And we also have a vendor uh, by the name of Thug Hippie, um, and that is ran by Ia, who lives in South Chicago, and she has her own bus. And she uh, pretty much uh, provides a bunch of, like, holistic education around, like, mental health. Um, She does dance circles, meditations. She does, like, points of talk around, like, daily wellness. Um, And that's just a service, like, she wants to provide with the health fair um, to, you know, promote wellness through the winter times, Mm. especially. Um, But, yeah, people are also able to get... Um, an extra $10 voucher to spend on our bus um, by doing filling out a survey. And that survey really is just to let us know how our performance has been and, like, see the points that we can improve on and the things that we provide and, you know, how our operations run daily. Um, but, yeah, it's really, like, full circle, just, hmm. you know, continuing to have that community engagement and education and connection with customers um, and providing services that are that are going to help support their well-being. And next week, we will actually um, be continuing our health fair. Um, Tuesday, November 8th. Wednesday, November 9th. Or, sorry, Tuesday, <laughs> November 15th. Wednesday, November 16th. And okay. Thursday, November 17th. Great. And, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead if you had more. Sorry, yeah, and our schedule can actually be viewed on our Instagram as well as at our website at www.urbangrowerscollective.org. Great, and what's the, what's where can people find you on Instagram since you mentioned that? Yeah, Instagram, it's just Urban Growers Collective, and then in the bio for Urban Growers, there's a link to Fresh Moves, and it is just Fresh Move Chicago. Great, great. Okay, wanted to make sure we got that plugged for you. So, while I mean, this everything just sounds like, I mean, not just Fresh Moves program, the health fairs, and or just everything under Urban Growers Collective. It seems like this is a an organization that, you know, beyond just helping provide, you know, vegetables and 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 produce for these underserviced areas, it seems like you, you guys are really just a full service kind of organization that, that does so much throughout the community. And that's, that's, that's something that I didn't even really realize as I was getting ready for this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, I think a lot of like this kind of groundwork in urban agriculture can go unseen, but there, there's a lot of like connections and resources that, you know, are constantly like intertwining and expanding um, throughout all of Chicago, especially. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy to see this blossoming and it will continue to blossom in the future. Um, Urban Growers is um, 
expanding to its green air project um, where there will be a digester where people will be able to bring their compost um, to it. And that will, in in sense, turn into alternative energy um, for the city of Chicago. Um, and, you know, many programs and and services will spawn just from that entity as well. So it is very much, a again, a collective effort um, that is constantly going to be growing in the next, you know, for the next decade. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And I would, I certainly hope so. So the last thing that I want to ask you is I know that, you know, it, these 501 C3 programs, excuse me, you know, they, they rely on a lot of donations from the community. So the last thing I want to ask you is how can people, if, if they want to volunteer or if they want to donate, uh, where where and how can they do that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, most of our donation links can be found on our website. Um, and all, all of the volunteer information and applications are on our website as well. Um, it should be under the contact us or volunteer get involved tab. Um, but yeah, all of those um, links should be should be there. And that I believe there's also information that is consistently posted on our Instagram link as well. Awesome. Well, Joshua, that's all I had for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, I think that's it. Thanks for having me, Adam. And I really appreciate uh, you reaching out and um, wanting to learn more about our program. Of course, of course. Thank you for being with us today. Of course. That was Joshua Hughes, operations manager for Fresh Moves Mobile Market at the Urban Growers Collective. Up next, the score's own Gabe Ramirez spoke this past week on the Parkins and Spiegel show as he was filling in for Danny Parkins about the importance of new White Sox manager Pedro Gafol being a Cuban-American, especially considering how many Cuban players the White Sox have. So Pedro Grafal is here, Gabe, co-host of the Southsiders podcast, along with Shane Reardon, where you guys talk White Sox. You can find that on the Sometimes. Odyssey app. Sometimes. Sometimes we talk White Sox. What else? Yeah. Do? It's like 60-40 non-White Sox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shane and I are the, the best duo to be talking about the White Sox. You don't want analytics. You want real. And that's what we give you. There you go. Well, you guys, you guys got sources, though, too. Shane has sources. Shane's been all over this idea of Oscar Colas as getting a chance 100%. in spring training uh, to win that right field job, and there's Rick Hahn leading with that. You know, Shane, Shane, Shane always says on this show and all the time, I'm not a sports guy, I'm not a blah, blah, blah. But when you listen to the podcast, even I'm impressed. Right? It's because he knows stuff. I know. That's why I'm, that, stuff that's why I'm, I'm trying to stop that narrative. All right. Yeah, okay. You know what? This is enough about Shane. Okay. okay? You're right. Um, but I want to talk, talk about you. Yeah. So... I'm trying to wrap my head around and explain to people as a baseball guy yeah. what it means to have Pedro Grafal here to help do what the White Sox are clearly asking him to do, which is to coach these guys up yeah. and make them better simply by communication and work habits and fundamentals and accountability and those kind of things. Because as word has trickled around about the the payroll and different things, there's not going to be a lot of big-time acquisitions. They're going to ask Pedro to really coach these guys up. And I want to know from your perspective as a Puerto Rican man with mm-hmm. a Cuban father, yep. Yep. what it means to have a Cuban-American like Pedro Grafal 
ready to deal with Cuban players like Imancada and, and and others, but also we got our four Cubans in there. Yeah, <laughs> you got you got Dominican players. Welcome if you got them. You got there's all different parts of yeah. the Latin diaspora are represented. So here's Pedro Grafal. What is the importance? What value is there that I don't understand? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I mean, right, right. The fact that he is Cuban. I mean, we can put that aside and just say that he's a Latino manager, right? And I think that. It's because you can speak the language. And I think that a lot of times, I know Shane loves when I bring up the fact that I was on B96 for a long time. So, like, when I walk the streets of Chicago in my neighborhood, in Humble Park, Logan Square, and moms come up to me and dads come up to me and they say, my, my, my kid loves you. They love that you're on there. It's because there's representation, right? And so a sport like baseball that, you know, is dominated when it comes to the managerial level by white dudes and, you know, you still got some black dudes in there like Dusty Baker and such. It feels good when you have a guy that can speak your language. And that's ultimately what it is, that understands your upbringing. And when it comes to, like, the, the Latin player themselves, they're a little more fiery. They're a little more they're, – they're, they're used to people yelling at them, but in a loving way. And I think that Pedro Grafal has already done that from the very beginning. He understands that. Being born in Miami, being the Peter Pan baby, understanding what that looks like you're you're able to accept it a bit more as a Latin player. And I hate to, you know, talk about race and do all that kind of, but it's true. No, no, no. Right? The, but the, it's the, true the, in this, in this Clarification, case. Pedro Grafol wasn't the Peter Pan baby. His, His dad. dad was the Peter Pan right, baby. Right, right, But I'm saying, like, but that's true when you're talking about those kinds of things. Yeah, right. right. When, when, when you have a Cuban coach that comes in and he's yelling at you, right, whereas you might not take that criticism, that you might not take that kick in the butt the same way from a, and again, hate to bring up race, but like from a white manager as you would from a Latin manager, because the Latin manager is going to come, not that a white person wouldn't, but a Latin manager is going to come right behind you. Bobby, mira, boom, this is why I said that. This is why I did that. But in Spanish, he's going to be able to 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 explain and, and, and allow you to understand that in a different way. Sure. Well, that's the thing is that it, it it's about the relationship and the empathy. Like when you're going to yell at somebody, we talk about this all the time. The, the opportunity, and Mark DeRosa said it perfectly, and we've heard versions of it about Grafol, which have been really exciting. It's like to tell you that you're doing it wrong without you wanting firsthand. to punch them in the face. And firsthand speaks, because that's it, right? There's no translator needed. Right, right, right. I am talking to you. You're hearing my words. Lost in translation is a phrase for a reason. Uh-huh. And in this case with Pedro Grafal, that does not exist. And it's not just about strategy or like like X's and O's. It's like an understanding. I need you to work hard right. because this will happen. Those are kind of life lessons. Yeah. Those are philosophical conversations, mm-hmm. which are, of course, easier to have in your native language. Yes, and you can you can talk to them. You can empathize with them in a different way. And I think that's what's important, specifically with the White Sox roster, because they've made it a point – to have that farm system in the Dominican Republic, to bring in Latin players, to have the, the pipeline that exists here, right? And as a Sox fan, you see that. And that's why you felt it was important to have a guy like Ozzie Guillen there that can speak to everyone. And so, whereas on, 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 on our Southsiders podcast, I was all for Ozzie. And obviously, because probably because I still felt a certain type of way from 2005, but I also understood the importance of being able to speak to those players that you want to get the best out of. Mm-hmm. One thing that I said on the podcast was, Ozzie Ginn is not going to let Yoan Mankata not be Yoan Mankata. And that doesn't mean loafing and not running to first base. It's you understand how good he can be. And I'm just using one player, but I'm speaking to everyone on that roster. Luis Robert, you know, guys like that. Like everyone on that roster, you are going to try to get the best out of them. And not that any other race manager would not, but 
he Pedro Grifol has the ability to speak directly to them and to touch nerves that maybe somebody else would not be able to. Let's talk about that exact point. When we had Pedro Grifol on, I brought up Yoan Moncada specifically to him because I think it's a big, big deal, this expectation that Pedro can get the most out of Yoan Moncada, who's making, I believe, $14 million this year, and then it goes up, and then it goes up. And so he's locked and loaded, and you need him desperately. He's not going anywhere. Um, and I mentioned to Grifol that, you know, Moncada doesn't have his family here. And he has struggled with that. And, of course, the subtext for us is some of the stuff we've heard about Moncada staying out too late, yeah. about Moncada maybe loafing a little bit. And then you've seen it on the field where Moncada has shown you moments of like, oh, my God, that looks like that dude quit. And he's not even freaking trying. So that's the subtext of me asking him about, like, here, Moncada struggling without his family. How are you going to be able to reach you on Moncada? You know, I empathize with him and what he's going through. My father was born in Cuba and was a Peter Pan baby, and, I, and if I've got my facts correctly, and, and that was 1962, I think they sent like 14,000 kids from Cuba to the United States without their parents. And to this day, and I can tell you maybe even last week or the, or the week before, you know, he explained to me what he felt like coming here without his parents. So I have sincere empathy for that, and I, I think it's important. I think it's important to, to listen, to be curious, to understand what these players are going through, and then to help them out, help them in the process, and do whatever it takes you know, to make them comfortable and do whatever it takes to make them concentrate for three hours and then get back to what it is that they're thinking about and together as a group, not just them, not just leave it all to them. You know, Work on this thing together. So imagine that you're struggling with something personally and all of a sudden there's a guy who can actually talk about it with you and really understand what the hell you're talking about and get you comfortable. You're then in a better place to concentrate and do what you need to do on the field. Absolutely. And I, and I think about my dad, right? And I call him my dad. He's raised him since I was five years old, Cuban-American, came here, born in 65, came to the United States at three years old on a boat with his mom. And he took on myself and my sister. I was five. My sister was nine. And he was 22 years old. Mm. And I think about, you know, not just Latin people. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to just do that. But in this specific case, you're thinking about a lot of these guys that don't even have dads. Like myself. My dad left me when I was three years old. So when you have someone that steps into that role, that's why I call him dad. I didn't call him dad until I was in my 20s because then once I got older, I understood. This dude did something that not a lot of people have stepped up to do, especially at that age. So when you look at Pedro Grifo and, and he steps into that role, kind of like that Jose Abreu role that people talk about, where you can actually come in and you're not allowing the guy to go out late at night. You're not allowing the guy to run the streets, to do whatever it is, and you're actually creating some structure. You're being someone that you can look up to and say, oh, this is how you handle it. You're a former major league player. You're someone that is now a manager. You have that, 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 that stature that exists, and you can say, okay, I'm not just some – some some Dominican kid or some Cuban kid or some Puerto Rican kid that's out here playing baseball and I got my check now and now everything's cool. No, you're a guy that still has to be a man. Right, and here's a grown-ass man, exactly. an example of successful exactly. manhood in front you of you. You have to continue to be a man and, and live up to that standards because there are people that are coming after you that are in that same position and you have to hold yourself to that standard. And no one else has probably held you on Mancata to that standard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so Pedro Griffo gets the opportunity to be that for not only that player, but for everyone that comes after. Right. And Ricky Renteria might've done it for a little while. Might've tried. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that relationship. Sure. I know that Rick Renteria had that relationship with Tim Anderson. 
You know, yeah. where Tim Anderson talked about Rick, like Ricky really had his back and like helped him bloom and helped him grow and get confident. T.A. is another guy who's going to need somebody, and it's your manager's job to figure out which of those guys need stuff and get it to them Absolutely. personally and professionally. Yeah, and you, and you helped us with a little nuance of translation, which is just an example of so many things. That when he's talking to, you, to, Eloy. To, to Eloy on the phone and he says... Bueno, caballo, te quiero mucho, okay? Bueno, caballo. That, like, caballo is like... Man, that right there, that gets me hyped up because even that in itself, I and mean, we didn't talk about that on the podcast, the caballo part, but like, like caballo is like a horse rider guy, right? Yeah, but, yeah. but when you say caballo, that's like, you're the man. Like, you're that dude. Uh-huh. Mira, caballo. So you're telling somebody, hey, you're the man. And then when you say te quiero, it's like, it's not I love you the way they wrote it on the bottom. It's, it's like, I care about you. Te quiero mucho. Like, that's something that your grandmother would say, something that your grandfather would say. Mm-hmm. So that when you're leaving their house, mira, papi, te quiero mucho, te veo. And then, like, I'll see you, you know? And you're like, ah. Bueno, caballo, te quiero mucho, okay? Ah, that just feels good. Oh, Even awesome. me hearing that from Pedro Grafo. Yeah, no, I, I'm getting it now. So, because he's saying, because the player's the man. So, as the manager, you're like, he's saying, you're the man, and I got you. I'm yep. going to help you be the best man you can be. And I care about you. And, like, Come how do you now. not feel that? Te quiero, caballo. I know you're watching. Oh, yeah, that's what he said to Salvador Perez? So he said the same thing at his press conference to Salvador say, Perez. He didn't say hombre or muchacho or, or macho or anything like that. Caballo. You're, you're, who do we have? Carlos Lee. El Caballo. Yeah, El Caballo. That, that like was his nickname because he was the man. Yeah. Right? So when, for a guy to use that casually in conversation, it's a praise that you're putting on this player. So when you talk about playing hard, when you talk about getting the best out of your guys, what do you want to do? You want to coach them up. Mm-hmm. And saying those words, the guy means it means a little bit more to that guy when they when they've heard that their whole life. Of course. And that was Gabe Ramirez along with Matt Spiegel filling in for Danny Parkins on the Parkins and Spiegel show this past week. That's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of the show or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.